0: Hi there, this is Robin Macaulay from Black Swan and MSG, and you are listening to Michael's Record Collection.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to Michael's Record Collection, the music interview podcast with... No fancy catchphrase. I'm Michael Citro, your host, and this is episode number 56, in which I speak with legendary Irish vocalist Robin McAuley. You may remember Robin from the Macaulay Shinker group. They had a big hit in the late 80s called Anytime. MSG was a very good band, and now Robin is with another very good band. It's called Black Swan. They have a new album coming out April 8th called Generation Mind. It's the second release by the band. Uh, also, Robin's been a busy guy. He put out an album last year, solo album, called Standing on the Edge. He also has uh, had a very successful run in Las Vegas with a show called Raiding the Rock Vault, where they tell the history of rock and roll in just 90 minutes uh, with a rotating cast of fantastic musicians. So lots of stuff to cover. Robin even has a new solo album in the works. He told me a little bit about that as well. So uh, very excited to bring you this interview just want to remind you you can email me at michaelsrecordcollection at gmail.com follow me on social on twitter it is at mikes records and on youtube facebook and instagram it's Michael's Record Collection. visit me at michaelsrecordcollection.com and you can get everything in one place including how to sign up for my free newsletter all right let's get to that robin mccauley interview here we go Welcome to Michael's Record Collection. Very happy to have with me Mr. Robin McCauley is with me to talk about this Black Swan Generation Mind album. Uh, Robin, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Michael. Good to be here. This thing is coming out April 8th. It is on digital CD, a 2LP crystal vinyl, and a cassette. And those, uh, the vinyl and the cassette, I believe, are exclusive to the Frontiers web shop. Is that correct? That's correct limited edition. A cassette, Great. can you
0: imagine that? <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh,
1: I tell you, I'm old enough to think that, uh, you know, to have thought that records were never coming back, but let alone cassettes. Well,
0: I actually <laughs> uh, spent a little time and I sort of tore my garage apart, which you really have to find anything, you have to tear it apart. But I found two in perfect working order uh, Sony Walkmans. <laughs> wow. And I put some new. I put some new batteries in there, and I went, "Let's give this a shot." I found a couple of old cassettes, you know, wound them
1: back up, and I went, "Damn, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> That's great. That's great." I look forward to talking to you a little bit about this uh, record coming out, but first, I want to get into your background a little bit. You grew up in a very big family. What was your introduction to music? Oh, um, my mom,
0: God rest her dear soul. My mom was a great accordion player. And um, we lived, uh, born and raised in the south of Ireland, but not too far from the city center of Dublin, about maybe 40 minutes, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were kind of a little suburbia, and we were pretty close to uh, to a pub, as you do in <laughs> Ireland. <laughs> There's one on every, every corner or every crossroads. And... So many people would just gather at our house and knowing that my mom played the accordion and they'd show up with violins and they'd show up with just a snare drum and Mm -hmm. sometimes not even a snare drum, a washboard and or thimbles on the fingers and or spoons. Spoons was a favorite. And I play a mean spoon too. And um, then my older brother, he was in the school band, he played drums. I thought I was going to be one of the greatest drummers in the world. So I played drums for about maybe 12 years or something, and I sucked. <laughs> um, and so there was always music. One of my older sisters also plays the accordion. And at the end of the day, I hated that instrument with a passion because <laughs> now on hindsight, I wish I'd learned how to play it. So there was music always, 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 always music.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you guys all sing? have big sing-alongs then?
0: Um, well, you know, you just you just did it. There was just so much. It was just the culture. Just so much music all the time. Yeah. Um, I was twelve, Michael, when I actually uh, saw Thin Lizzie for the first time. Wow! And I saw Thin Lizzy with with uh, with Phil, obviously. But I saw I saw Thin Lizzy with Eric Bell when they re- <laughs> when they released Whiskey in the Jar and 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 Brian Downey on drums. And I'm going. I was sitting cross legged on 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 a floor with maybe not even two dozen people in this tiny little club in my local town. Wow. And, um, and I'm going, ha! Next time <laughs> I went to see them, I think it was about, oh man, I don't know, 20, 30,000 people I couldn't get within like 20, uh, 30 miles. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. So um, what was your first favorite record? Oh,
0: my, my first, I'll tell you, um, you know, I was, I was big on Motown. I listened, I okay. uh, just, Motown was my, was my go-to, you know, the four tops, especially, you know, Temptations, the Shy Lights, you know, good stuff to this day is just still as good now as it ever was. It just, it's, it's forever music, you know, yeah. great melodies, great lyrics. Those hook lines were just, you know, um, yeah. never to be forgotten. So I just loved Motown music. Um I then, um, later I discovered, um, when I had a girlfriend, I discovered uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival. <laughs> okay. and, and, and I remember, um, I remember it was her birthday and I thought, true story, um, shoot, what will I get her for her birthday? So I bought Cosmos Factory and it was on vinyl and it was all shrink wrapped, all that sort of stuff. And I was about to wrap it up as a prezi and I tore the shrink wrap off it stuck it on my turntable and I went, oh, she's not getting this record <laughs> <laughs> And she did not get that record and uh, yeah what a what what a just John Fogarty just just fantastic. And then wow. of course I discovered Paul Rogers and that's a whole different story than then the world of rock was like an open book and I'm going, oh, well here we go and and that's really he was my first sort of real rock oh, god dude yeah that, that, that I got and, and just about everybody's i think you know not sure why he's not in the hall of fame because he certainly should be you know oh for he's, sure he's, yeah but that's a different that's another yes. subject
1: so, yeah. yeah you began as a you mentioned it as a drummer you were when you were very young um, elton john talked in his autobiography about having to slip out of a pub through a window to avoid police checking for underage patrons do you have any similar stories like that from your well, when I started there? playing drums,
0: I should never have been allowed into the venues. <laughs> um, and maybe it's because I was, you know, pretending to be a drummer. Um, because I was way in the background, nobody paid much attention to me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was, I got away with that for for a long time. But, you know, in, in, in growing up in Ireland, there was a kind of a, a blind eye cast on, because you could bring your kids into the pub, you know, and. Tuck them away in a corner as long as they stayed quiet and, and give them a bag of crisps or something, you know, to shut them up or <laughs> something like that. And of course, closing time was never on time. You know, the pubs closed when everybody left, basically, and that could be any time. Yeah. And, and, and typically, people in the pub who knew each other playing music would spill over into those people's houses. And God knows that would go on. I remember getting up for school sometimes and there'd be music still going on in my living room. And that's that, that's not an exaggeration. Yeah. And, um, you know, you could get away with a lot of stuff. I, 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 I know I did. I was playing drums in places I should never have been allowed to be playing. In. And, and, you know, then you get older and you, you keep going, you'll know, come on in, you bring the younger kids in that you remember, I, I did it, you do it.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And, and I guess it was just, just how we grew up really, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, uh, the, the story goes, you were visiting your sister in London ah. and ended up, uh, ended up staying in England. And now, now at the time you were still a drummer. How did you end up getting an offer to become a pub band singer?
0: I think I was, uh, I think I was about 20, 21 before I had my first taste of alcohol. I was never, you know, I'd go into the pubs with people, with, with my friends, but I I wasn't, Drinking wasn't just something I just didn't feel I needed to drink, you know, just because I was in a pub. But um, with my brother-in-law he took me to a local pub um, when I went to visit my sister, and there was a band playing, as as was 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 typical. And I think it was a Friday night or something. And they knew that I did backup background vocals when I when I played drums, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I sang most of the night as a backup singer. And, um, you know, everybody was drinking. I had my first taste of alcohol. (laughs) And I ended up um, on the stage with this band. And uh, I threw a couple of songs at them, and they were going, yeah, right, whatever. And um, surprising to them, the keys that I was giving them was the key I was singing in. (laughs) And I think a little while afterwards, I was approached by that same band to see if I'd be interested in singing and I had no interest in singing, really. Um, Singing just wasn't something that I, I I didn't have a plan to be a singer. It just kind of happened. And so I was with that band for a number of years. And then I was approached by a bass player and a guitar player who later on became a a London band that I was with uh, Grand Prix and recorded mm-hmm. two records with them. And so off it went, you know. Um, actually, while I was singing with that band Grand Prix is when Michael Schenker um, showed up at, a, at, a, at one of the, the gigs and he had Cozy Powell, the great late Cozy Powell. Um, Chris Glenn is bass player, Andy Nye was his keyboard player. And the next day I got an offer to come rehearse with Michael Schenker, but I was actually leaving. On tour, I think with Sammy Hager, we did the Stanley Hampton tour. Mm, yeah.
2: Um,
0: and never ended up joining Schenker until another four years after that.
1: Now, when you were with Grand Prix, you you opened for Iron Maiden's Number of the Beast tour? Yes, we sure did. What What were the guys in Iron Maiden like at that time? And, well, and how did um, they treat you guys as the, oh, as the opening? Oh, I mean,
0: they were all friends. That, mm-hmm. that was the cool thing. Um, we Where we used to rehearse as Grand Prix next door um, Bruce Dickinson actually was singing for a band called Samson Mm -hmm. and um, they were kind of next door to us so we all knew each other and in actual fact Bruce and our bass player were sharing the same apartment so we we were all really good buddies there was a big festival coming up the Reading Festival we were sort of hailed as the new wave of heavy metal one of those bands things and um Samson were on, on, on the uh, on the bill, Iron Maiden were headlining and that was for all intents and purposes Pagliano's last Iron Maiden show because after Maiden saw Bruce singing with his band Samson, um, I remember we carried on rehearsing because we were about to go back out on tour and Bruce came into our rehearsal room and he was like beside himself and he said, Maiden just asked me to join and I don't know what to do. And I think we kind of pummeled him because it was like, <laughs> what do you mean you don't know what to do? And so Bruce went on to get the Maiden gig, record Number of the Beast. And um, they asked us to be their opening act. And it was just, it was, they never looked back, needless to say. There's an yeah. statement, And yeah, it was just sure. phenomenal. Great band. Oh my God. I remember Steve Harris one time. And I said, you know, how do you guys just deal with this audience? And he goes, I'll tell you what it is, mate. He goes, you come out, you kick them in the balls, they go down. And when they get up, you kick them in the balls again. (laughs) (laughs) And that's exactly what he told me. And that was their philosophy. They just came out full on like a. Like a Panzer tank division, although the British Army didn't have Panzer tanks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's, like yourself, they're still doing it. Well, you know, you know, it's
0: just I, I love what I do, and as long as you know, as long as I can keep doing it.
1: You had your first big hit with Far Corporation doing a, a little-known song called "Stairway to Heaven." <laughs>
0: Some bird who sings sometimes all of our thoughts
2: makes me wonder
1: I know that you have spoken with um, Robert Plant about it because you guys were both on the, the Thomas Godshawk Saturday night show. Um, but I'm curious as to whether you've ever gotten feedback on that version of it from from Jimmy Page or John Paul Jones.
0: Oh yeah, um, they loved it. They loved it. I, I, I remember at the time, um, because you know it was such an exciting and blasphemous thing to do <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to release Way to Heaven. Um, it really wasn't our idea. But, I mean, Bobby Kimmel was on there as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it certainly wasn't our idea. I was um, I was recording some demos in Frankfurt, Germany, and a manager we had at the time um happened to play some of these demos to Frank Farian and Farian says oh my god I would love to have this guy in the studio and so I got an invite to the studio I didn't know what we were doing and then he started playing Far Corporation's version of Stairway to Heaven and I remember as as did Bobby Kimball you can't do this you just can't do this and he goes "No, oh, yeah we can do it and so so we did it, and Thomas Gottschalk show was was the first time that I think even Robert Plant knew about. It. I mean, you have to get licensing and all of that sort of stuff, but mm-hmm. it wouldn't it wouldn't potentially go through him. It would go through the you know the publishers and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, but he was on the show uh, with his own band, and Kate Bush were on the show. Slade were on the show. It was a it was a huge deal. I think there was I remember there was like about over 18 million viewers on that night. It was was a huge show. And um, we were rehearsing or taking our camera positions throughout the day for the show that would ensue that night. And we had this big black backdrop with Stay Where to Heaven and Silver. And I guess I had my back to the cameras for, for whatever reason. And the guitar player said, Robert Plant is staring down the back of your neck right now. And I'm going, <laughs> sure he is. You know, and it was just a big ha, ha ha ha. Yeah. And we didn't see the roster for for artists on the show. And sure enough, Robert was pointing his finger straight at me. And he looked at me <laughs> and he looked at the backdrop and he looked at me and he's going. <laughs> and I went, Ooh, talk to him. <laughs> yeah. And we have a, we have a ton of photos together with Robert and and uh You know, when it was all explained by the producer, then I did a bunch of promo in the UK and there was lots of, um, because I guess I had a a mullet or something at the time. (laughs) So they used to compare my mullet to Roberts. And (laughs) (laughs) it was, I mean, it sold a lot. I think it sold about 2 million singles at that time in the UK alone. And that was in what, 85 or 86 or something. And it charted, it it was in the top 10. I think it's number great eight number eight or something so those were good times
1: yeah I, l- I like it too I think it's a good I think it's a good cover I think you did uh, your own thing with it but you. well I
0: mean that was the purpose I think that was the producer's idea you know uh-huh. let's, let's let's do it but keep the integrity but do something else you know? yeah and I mean when we performed uh, on TV we'd have up to like 40 gospel singers with us doing on and it makes me wonder (laughs) you know we do all of that in the background and it was it was a blast something different you know
1: yeah for sure You, uh, when you joined Michael Schenker um, for MSG, it it seemed like he thought he was hiring a vocalist, but then he, he actually gained a musical partner and you guys changed the name of MSG to Macaulay Schenker Group. How did that come about?
0: Um, that was absolutely Michael's idea. Michael had had Michael Schenker Group for all of that period prior to that. Um, Grand Prix used to share the same record label, Chrysalis Records, with, with with MSG. So we, we knew everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, when they decided, they being Michael, being the Scorpions Management Company, uh, Rudolf Schenker, Klaus Meiner himself, heard all of the demos. There was like, I think I was the last of 17 singers. And they went, no, pick Macaulay. And then Michael said, um, sometime later, he said, I don't want to keep I don't want to keep calling it Michael Schenker Group. I, I would really like to share the load um, and, and push some of the responsibility to somebody else. And I went, we'll get, get a, let the management do it. And he goes, no, I'd like you to do it. And I went, I don't know anything about it. And he goes, no, and I want to change the name because, you know, M. McCauley, S. Schenker, we, we don't really have to change anything because he knew. That I loved that MSG logo. I mean, I loved it. It's still a very strong logo. Yeah. And he said, I want to call it Macaulay Shanker Group. And I went, it's just, Michael, a huge mouthful. That's what it is. <laughs> Leave it as MSG. It's established. It works. Don't fix it. And he says, no, I'd be happy. And he goes, you get to keep the logo. I get to change the name. Done. And it caused nothing. It was nothing but a pain in the ass. That's what it was. <laughs> because You know, you could find Macaulay Schenker in a UFO bin and a Scorpions bin and a Michael Schenker group bin, in a Macaulay Schenker group bin. And I'm going, I told you, the record company went to great lengths. You know, this is where the record is. This is where the record is. And I'm going, oh, dear God, you know. And um, at the end of the day, everybody would call it MSG.
2: -hmm.
0: And I would, you know, this is, it just rolls. You just, you just don't, don't mess with stuff.
1: Yeah, it um, did, have, did have a really good logo. I liked the logo. And you had a, a, a breakthrough hit in the U.S. with Anytime, which I think is is still a song that's in my rotation. I still love that song.
0: In those you know in, in the in the late 80s if you didn't have your mtv rotation or your vh1 rotation or or you weren't on a p1 playlist on the radio stations and you just didn't have uh, the song the chances were you didn't get of uh, the tour because nobody knew who you were unless you were an mtv so mm-hmm. the label would always go hey guys i don't i'm not hearing the song." And yeah. so you'd be, you know, what are we doing here? Writing by numbers, you know? And there was, there was an expectation of, I need the song and it has to be in that sort of genre. And of course, in those days, there was a very particular 80s sound sort of genre and a look to go with it. And I mean, we certainly had the air. <laughs> um, and I'm glad all of that's gone. Yeah. And, you know that sort of the pressure to write. I mean, a good song is a good song is a good song, and and I love good melodies, a good a good hook line. I mean, that's the kind of music I like, and it doesn't matter what genre you put it into. I, I just you know, mm-hmm. but that was the kind of what we were the pressure the thumb we were under. Um. So yeah, we we got we got the radio stuff, and we got the tours, and and, and the rest of it, you know.
1: Yeah, it's so crazy that that happened in the 80s with hard rock because, you know, hard rock and metal became a little formulaic, but the 80s were, it was a decade that had so much variety in the hits that were that were coming out there were music from all over the world because of MTV was was uh, becoming popular, all different styles. And yet that one slice that hard rock heavy metal slice just became very much a, you know, a a pinch point of putting it into, you know, this little box and and not letting you guys expand.
0: They put it and and they, they had to put you into a bag to know where they would find you. And that's, and if you did something outside the realm, if you were changing your style, "Mm, I don't know where to put you now. And it was like, you know, the labels were beside themselves and, and, so with the bands because you know there was a certain this was the formula <laughs> yeah and, and of course for for a long long time that formula was 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 the winner it was the winner this is i like eating this bread and i love those ingredients why are you going to change it
1: yeah and yeah the, and until the, until grunge that thing was uh was going very very strong
0: upend, it, it upended everything
1: yeah you
0: know and and as i always say um everything happens for a reason it's the same as in the 70s when punk, when punk kicked in, they the a guys were signing every which way punk band that just came out of the woodwork and only the strong survived, there was a handful. The same mm-hmm. with grunge, you had your Pearl Jams and your Sound Gardens and your Nirvanas and that sort of stuff. You can only rattle off four or five really, really good ones that, that, that made it through the haze. And uh, we used to laugh because, you know, I would say, you know, the old dinosaurs are just gonna go out there and graze for a little bit, and we'll just hang in the background. And before you know it, eighties rock will be back, alive and kicking. And voila, it's been <laughs> around ever since. And those are the tours that make the money. And and uh, look at the look at the TV and look at all of the truck and car commercials. Eighties rock music. Eighties yeah. rock. Music. And yeah. and it just stuck. It just. It stands that you know, look at Zeppelin. I mean, you think Zeppelin were just released yesterday? And because <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just, uh, and there's a lot of new bands that I, I really like that that are sort of uh, hunkered down to that sort of seventies, eighties mixture style, and <clears throat> some of them are really nailing it, getting it right, and and, and with a new twist. So it's yeah. it's refreshing. It's really good.
1: Yeah, sure are. So tell me a little bit about this uh, Raiding the Rock Vault, your Vegas rock shows. Ah. I had uh, I actually got the the opportunity to talk to John Payne uh, recently. And I know that John John gave Mm -hmm. you the the phone call and and kind of got the ball rolling a little bit that way. Tell me a little bit about these shows in Vegas.
0: Yeah, um, I was singing with uh, and I'll try to make it short. I was singing with Survivor. Um, I was picking I was home. Was picking my kids up from junior high at the time, I'm in the car, phone rings, Robin, John pain. <laughs> <laughs> and John had actually been out with his version of Asia and we did a show, they opened up in the mid afternoon for Survivor and then he stayed on stage and he watched the Survivor show that night and, and um, he started telling me that uh, you know he invited me to the studio. He goes, We're doing this kind of thing. This is the idea. Simon Napier Bell that used to manage Wham and George Michaels was basically the, the the idea behind the whole thing. So he had a bunch of songs to record. He goes, Pick what you want. So I came and met John. And oh my god, we had the, the best fun. I'm surprised we actually recorded anything because we would just start talking about <laughs> this sitcom and that joke and this. And it was just I loved I love John to death. And um So we did a, uh, we did a uh, sort of a showcase style show in downtown LA at the Mayan theater. And out of that was created a three minute sizzle that they took to Vegas. And we thought maybe at best a weekend, seven years later Hmm. and and best of Vegas for seven consecutive years, almost 1500 shows. I mean, it, it was crazy. Um, and yes, we moved around from place to place because you know management and production, we always looking for closer to the strip, a better show, a better, and, and mm-hmm. Vegas is Vegas. It, it's not all glamor and it's not all you think it's made out to be because it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work and you have to be very consistent, but we managed to hold our own for all of that time and right up to um, pandemic, we were working five nights a week and the story goes as i sit here that maybe may or june of this year they show may reopen nice yeah it's
1: uh it, you you've had so many unbelievably talented and well-known musicians Incredible. yeah come in there it's 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 really like my my wife comes from Las Vegas so we get there every so often and I would love to see that show so I hope it does get going again
0: yeah yeah so watch for it um, um, it'll be up on the site you know radiorockfall.com and they'll be they'll be updating it all the time and people love it yeah. you know it's classic rock but but it's uh, it's an all ages show and man it just we cover a lot of a lot of ground in in 90 minutes it used to be I think the first show at the Mayan was two hours forty minutes, Michael.
1: Yeah, I can believe. <laughs> but when you
0: go it. to Vegas, the, when you go to Vegas, we have to we we trimmed it down. We got down to two hours ten minutes, and then the casinos were going. I'm sorry, guys, we need people out at
1: the slot machines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have to have um, their money.
0: <laughs> yeah, so we had to break it down to a, a ninety minute show. That's your that's your cap.
1: Yeah. All right. So Black Swan. Uh, this is yourself on vocals uh red beach from winger and white snake uh guitars and backing vocals jeff Pilson from foreigner and docking uh ex on uh bass acoustic guitar keyboards and backing vocals and matt star from ace braley's band and mr big drums and percussion mm-hmm. this is the second album uh generation mind coming out in april and it's uh, following up 2020's shake the world and it's on frontiers and it, Frontiers is doing such a great job of of finding and putting together packages of of these uh, musicians that have have had success in the past. But this is a, a tremendous group, and I know you go you ha- you have a past with Jeff, especially. I think he's isn't he your brother in law, or who he, he was your best dream, man, best, my best man, yeah. best man. Yeah. Anyway, uh, how did how did this sort of come together? I, I think Frontiers got a hold of of Jeff, and Jeff kind of took the reins on that.
0: Yeah, because Serafino had asked me to do a record a solo record about a year before, and and I was so busy with Rock Vault, I was so busy with Shankerfest, I just I just didn't didn't have the time. So we kind of put on the back burner, and um, I. I uh, I actually came out of church in Vegas one Sunday morning. <laughs> people that yeah, people actually go to church in Vegas. and um, they, have, uh, they have a lot to repent for. Well, <laughs> <laughs> That's a good, good follow up. Um, and Jeff called me and he goes, Hey, Serafino's been on the phone. He wants me to put a sort of a super group together. And I'm going, well, well, wait, 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 supergroups. You know, you can't talk to me about supergroups. That's just a horrible title. And he goes, no, no, <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm, not. That's not my thing either. He said, I spoke to Reb. And he said, you know, Reb did Tooth and Nail with Doc and, and Reb was my first choice. And Reb's totally down for it. And he said, you're my only singer. So he says, please don't say no because I'm not <laughs> going to talk to anybody else. And I went, oh dear, well, that sounds exciting. And I said, but you're playing bass, right? And he said no 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 i'll be producing and i i don't mind getting involved with the writing but i really don't want to play bass and i went well that's a shame because i do want you to play bass <laughs> and so the writing started and reb and i kind of you know because jeff would lay down a guide ba- <laughs> guide base in as part of the writing because the three of us did the writing
2: mm-hmm.
0: and reb and i said well we know who the bass player is and we sort of bludgeoned him and said, come on, <laughs> you, know, you can do both, you can produce, write <laughs> and, 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 and play bass. So then we needed a drummer, I recommended, I think uh, uh, there, there was a, a bunch of different choices that were suddenly became very busy because the time factor was a little stretched out because Reb was so busy and Jeff was so busy and I was so busy, I was going, how are we gonna make this work? didn't find time to record. So um, Matt Starr had been a swing drummer for raiding the Rock fault, And I worked with him on a couple of live scenarios as well. And I said, Matt would be great. So Jeff sent the tracks to Matt. And before you know it, we have Shaked the World and the great record. We were super, super excited about it. Um, the reviews were great. And then the pandemic hit soon afterwards. and. And, you know, it just kind of rolled as it did. But the the interest was was, was great. Mm-hmm. And so when it came around to this one, we were, like, super stoked and super ready for it. And it really sounds like a band. It just sounds like a like a, a project. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that's what makes, it, makes us work together.
1: Was the plan always stylistically going in? You already knew what kind of music you, you wanted to play because uh, you guys have basically all played that type of music throughout your careers.
0: Well, I do remember Jeff because I said to Jeff, "So what? What did they want?" And he goes, "Well, you know, classic rock." And then we just kind of cracked up, <laughs> We're going, "Oh, really?" <laughs> and I don't know if we put a classic rock hat on. We just wrote the music, yeah. and what came out. What came out, and you know, it's 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 the kind of music that we wanted to play. Whether you whether you call it classic rock, hard rock, whatever rock, um, it's black swan rock. <laughs> yeah.
2: To the dark
1: Tell me about that. Tell me about Black Swan. Where did that name come from?
0: Oh, um like every band project thing, you know, every, you knew who do like What were we going to call it? So we came up with a bunch of names and they sucked. They were like <laughs> the worst names. And then Reb called one day and he goes, Hey, so Kip Winger and I were just chewing over and Kip was listening to some of the tracks. They go, Dude, this is killer shit. Right. And he goes, you call it Black Swan. And poof, there it was. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that simple.
0: Thanks, Kev. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, because because we were sort of, uh, you know, about to launch into a pandemic, we didn't know anything about, you know, Black Swan as a title has all got to do with the economics. And, and people are going, were well, you guys alluding to that? No, and we were also not alluding to the movie either or or you know and it's actually got nothing to do with a bird <laughs> it's a band name of course yeah. we used it. i'm actually wearing the first black swan shirt nice. um, and um yeah it's a great name it's very strong it seems to really suit the band perfectly and of course the new artwork i think is just awesome so
1: yeah now did uh, did frontiers hook you up with an artist for that
0: we worked with Stan Decker on the first record on Shake the World, and Stan was our go-to guy for the second one. And uh I spent uh a lot of time uh with Stan to develop the uh the cover for the new one. Jeff and Reb decided that they wanted to wash their hands of it. <laughs> and they went, you take it, Macaulay. You you just you just deal with it. You just and and just keep us posted. And so I had great ideas, uh uh um, centered around the plague doctor and the plague doctor mask back from the black plague days. And mm-hmm. I, I can do some graphics myself. So I would do a lot of renderings and I take the mask and I put it on a swan head, see how that looked. And Oh my God, there was some wild stuff. <laughs> um,
1: I think the artwork's <laughs> great for both. Of you. Yeah.
0: Thank you. And, and then I had like gas masks on and I would put the beak on the gas mask. And then I put big goggles on and I put the mask on that and then it sort of started to develop into this sort of futuristic alien-esque thing. And so I'm throwing all of these images at Stan and I'm thinking this guy is just going to lose it in a minute because, <laughs> because and the label in the beginning didn't want anything, they didn't want to do that. They just didn't want to go down that road and we sort of went, nah, we don't want, we don't want a swan because a swan really doesn't have anything to do with the, with the name. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what we ended up with. And we tweaked it and I got the colors from Alien because they had that sort of cold blue dripping steel. And we tweaked it and tweaked it. And then I went, I think this is it. Sent it off to the to the lads and they were going, killer. It's awesome. Yeah, it's And great. Generation Mind, of course, we decided when we were writing the song, um, it would be a great album title. And it's kind of stuck. We didn't change it. Yeah.
1: It's the first single off the album as well. Yes. And, and then uh, you came out with the Eagles fly. I got to say this, uh, you on these two black Swan albums and the, um, the, uh, 2021 solo album standing on the edge. you You haven't lost a, a beat there with your voice. It's how do you keep in such great shape? And you still sound great.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, it's my instrument. It's my responsibility. It's, it's, uh, you know, I'm not getting any younger, so we won't, you know, break out the violins on that. So, um, I suppose, Michael, for as long as I think I'm capable of doing it, then it's my job to take care of, of, of my instrument. And I always say to my wife, I'm done, I, I've had enough, you know, she goes, what else are you going to do? You know? and, and I have a great thing about, about um, you know, there's a lot of singers get a lot of bad raps for what, you know, for not being able to perform. and it's just something to me, personal. I would hate to read some of the stuff that I've read about others. And so I think there's an element of, high element of dignity involved. And it's like, you should know. <laughs> you should know when it's time to uh, hang up your hat. I'm not ready to hang up my hat, but I also don't want people looking to go, dude, you need to do this time. <laughs> and 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 so I'm lucky. My voice is still there, and 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 I hope I get a little more out of it. This new music is has been very refreshing to me, and I'm having a blast doing it. And and I suppose that's it. I still enjoy it a great deal. I want it to sound good, so that's what I have to do. I have to keep making it sound good. And sooner or later, I suppose it won't sound good, and
1: then I'll go that's yeah. all she wrote <laughs> <laughs> so there's uh with 12 tracks i think and uh one the first one is a, a short intro piece really cool guitar piece before the light before the light kind of goes into she hides behind the full band comes in there and just brings the rock I was listening to this even today and i'm going through song by song and thinking this could have been the single this could have been the first single this could have been like there's just no the 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 quality level just never drops from from start to finish i I wondered if you had a, a favorite from the album
0: i have several um i i have several I don't think the label wanted Eagles Fly even as the second single. I think they wanted something else. And Rev and I are going, oh dude, this gotta be a single. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you know, what is a single anymore? You know, it's it's a it's a showcase for the record, you know, yeah. it's not like they fly off the shelves or anything like that. Um, but it's important, I think, as long as you're supporting your own record, to back it up by something that you think is the record, you mm-hmm. know, and and um Obviously a good hook line doesn't doesn't hurt. I think Eagle's Fly is a kick-ass song. It's a great song. Um, I, I love Wicked the day, you know, I love storylines, mm. and Miracle, just a little FYI, when, when the album drops on April 8th, you know, there's always a third single on the day that you drop it, so Miracle, I believe, will will come out um, with the album drop, you know, I'm, I'm great, I'm, I, love, I love the old ballad, man, you know, How Do You Feel, I think it's a beautiful song, I think it's really cool. That's um, my I favorite song album.
1: on the album It is I don't want to admit that Because it's a rock album You're not supposed yeah. to go for the power ballad I don't think it's
0: fair To be this cruel somehow You'll know, always right In everything you say So just because you got the last word to will give you the right to walk away
2: You know they'll have-
0: But so I did you hear, have you heard the uh, acoustic version? No, I haven't. Ah. Now that's it. That, it's just, Reb just takes on a whole different thing on the acoustic version. It's just, there I said, it, it's gorgeous. It's just, yeah. and unfortunately, or fortunately, usually the bonus track of which is usually a an acoustic version of one of the songs, mm-hmm. uh, usually only hits the Japanese market, so uh, and, and it did on, on on shake the world I don't even have a Japanese copy you know so I'm, I'm hoping to get back to Japan and buy my own copy <laughs> <laughs> um and that yeah so yeah uh, how do you feel it's just it's, it's just a gorgeous song and the acoustic version is, is really is really cool yeah so I there's that a lot of I, I think there's a good uh you know uh, I like a, a an album or a record um, I like it to be like a book, beginning, a middle, and an end, you know, and I think I think it's well balanced. Jeff does a lot of that. He's really good at that, and we were yeah. kicking around what should be the first song, and, and uh, you know, she hides behind this. <laughs> it's, it's actually, lyrically, it's not something that we would normally put out there, you know, it's like a, a, a hooker, truck driver. <laughs> And I'm not even sure how it came about. It was just kind of fun, and and it was just that driving sort of track, and we just, you know, um, fast communicator with an open carburetor, you know. <laughs> and I remember coming to Jeff, and I'm going can I, can I actually say that? And he goes, I think you're already doing that. <laughs> so, um, he goes, I think it's the perfect opening track, you know, <laughs> and so, so there you have it. It just comes at you, you know, 18 yeah. wheeler.
1: <laughs> yeah, For sure. I, I think, um, see you cry is a catchy rocker. I think it, it is, uh, huh? the, um, killer on the loose could have been a single. Who does the, uh, the little news report in the middle of that song?
0: That was, that was Jeff. So, so, When we were on, um, when we did the Shake the World album, um, I wrote a song called um, When Johnny Comes Marching Home. Yeah, that's a good one. And um, when I came to Jeff with the lyrics, the lyrics were very poignant because one of my sons, one of my sons, by the grace of God, was doing a part-time job and he was called into work. He was supposed to have the night off and he was heading over to this club very close to me called Borderline, where uh, a former uh, uh, soldier was home from active duty. And uh, then he went back and shot up the place, shot 12 people, including okay. a sheriff. And um, Johnny came marching home was basically about what happens to the, the soldiers that are so affected and, and not a proper, no proper, um, Counseling, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and so you have, you have a, a devastating act uh, um, to a community, to families, because of such. So, Jeff put in when we were doing it. I wanted to have you know marching drums on that to to, to sort of add, emphasize what more more of where it was going, and so we decided to put that that. Uh, you know, the, those stories in Johnny e. Co. Marching Home. So when it came to, um, when it came to Killer on the Loose, which is basically about the the uh, Jack the Ripper, <laughs> um, there was a whole breakdown on He goes, hey, what are we gonna do here? And I went, I think we should do a little bit more of that. Grab some, um, Add some sound bites, have a listen to them, and do your stuff. And he's really good at that. He puts on the radio voice. And, yeah. and of course, there's little pieces of Jeffrey Dahmer in there. There's about all this stuff. And it's just stuff that happened. So you bring sort of a, a song, and then you use pieces of, 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 of actual cases and you put them into a little sound bite and you stick them in the middle of a song, and the whole thing. It, it creates a complete story and and uh yeah one of the, it's a it's a black swan trait that thing yeah. <laughs> that's twice we've done it now and it works great another
2: victim of thanks dr keller richard ramirez found today in a wooden area outside of what that jeffrey finally
1: Uh, I think Wicked the Day might be the most heavy metal of the songs yeah. on the album. Love the, the guitar work. It's got that it's nice awesome. crunch to it. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, I Will Follow is another another favorite of mine on the show yeah. and, and uh, or on this album. And I wondered where that fade out, fade in idea came from.
0: Well, you can th- thank Jeff and, 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 and Reb, you know. I got the music and I, I, I remember I spent... Spent a bunch of time listening to it, listening to it because I want this is just such a great piece of music. We have to get this right, and and um, then I did the voicings over the top, and 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 I came to Jeff, and he goes, "Oh my God, I would never have thought of that this is great. This is just takes on a whole thing." He goes, "This could be a single. This could be really good." And and I don't think singles. I just think, I just think what's what's good for the song. Mm-hmm. So when we were laying it down he liked the melody he liked the lyrics and we fine-tuned it and then on the on the actual production he started doing all of those workings to make it to make it do that and it's really cool and a little piece at the end and it's just it's it's just it just fits the song it's 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 just a piece it's an epic piece it's awesome
1: you know yeah, there's a little false ending on the, on the end, yeah, and then, yeah. and then you, <laughs> and you get a little more, right? It, yeah, like, oh, that's it's what a... it is. It's over, but it's not over. <laughs> right. So is this going to be one of those things where, if it does well, Frontiers will give you guys a little bit of money for some live shows? Because I know Jeff is so busy with Foreigner, I, I, and I know there's there's very uh, – I think tonight a lot... they
0: start a, a Vegas residency, or was it last night? What day's today? Oh, no, it's tomorrow night, I think. 24th, I think they start. Okay. Vegas residency this weekend, and anyway, we would love to play live. I and mean, we were asked this last time. You know, is this? Mm-hmm. I think the question always is: Is this just a frontiers project that's just going to go away, and we'll never see you guys again? And maybe there's a lot of people who never want to see us again. But I think because of the scheduling, it's really, really super difficult. And uh, when we were shooting the videos, we we all agree that. Probably, and I'd say this to everybody probably the best scenario would be a Monsters of a Rock festival or festivals in general. You know, mm-hmm. you have a lot of people in the same place at the same time. I, I always say that. And it would be the perfect format, launching pad, because, you know, there's a lot of bands in it, but it would be the great, the best place to launch Black Swan because we could get it out there. And if the promoters liked it, then maybe they would uh, go. You guys have to tour now, you know. Yeah. And I think that would segue it into the next thing. But White Snake is going to be like hugely busy. Yeah. yeah, They're going to be really busy. Wingers already busy. You know, the <laughs> that's never... the problem.
1: You you're with these these uh, other musicians, and everybody's yeah, they, busy. Everybody's they, got they stuff never going. stop.
0: <laughs> they never stop, and it's really good for them. And and Jeff never stops, and, and and Jeff also produces other stuff too. So he's he's crazy. Matt, I know Matt's out with Ace. Really, Matt Matt's busy, and I'm about to start vocals on my second on my follow up solo record. Most of awesome. the, almost almost done with all of the songs. And I should, be, I should be doing that right now. I mean, not right now, this minute, but, <laughs> but this month. And then I get a call from the Shanker camp for Europe and uh, Ronnie Romero uh, is the lead guy for Michael's new record, uh, Universe. And Michael is celebrating his uh, 50th anniversary in music. So Ronnie was not able to make the last five shows of the European dates, uh, three in Italy and uh, Spain, two in Italy. And uh, they asked me if I could jump in and help out and, and, and I said yes. And then two or three days later, they went, "Um, the whole tour is now up. Can you do the whole tour? So now (laughs) I, I leave, I leave on the April 22nd and I'm, and I'm shooting emails off to the label and I'm going, how am I supposed to put the record out? <laughs> and so, you know, you have to, everybody has to talk to everybody and go, okay, scheduling, you know, look at the calendars and move things around. So, and in the midst of that, how will Black Swan play live? <laughs> yeah. You know, and of course it's summer coming up. And as you 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 know well enough, uh, you can't just go, okay, I'm going to play this summer. It doesn't work like that. It takes, takes months and months of planning. And, yeah. and it'll take... It'll take a lot of rehearsals, which also takes a chunk of time out of everybody else's schedule because you just don't show up and do a show. You have to rehearse and get it right. And, you know, if Black Swan comes out, we're going to come out and and make a statement. We yeah. just can't kind of go. Oh, let's show. Do you know that song? <laughs> <laughs> it has to be done right. So, so um, stay tuned, Michael. <laughs> yeah, I'm
1: look. i looking forward to it. It sounds like you're really busy, all of you, and that's a good problem to have.
0: No, no, it's it's really good. <laughs> but but there is a great eagerness for Black Swan to do that showcase and go. We, we really are a band, and and these are our songs, and we have plenty of material now. You know, yeah. to do to do a show.
1: I think it would go down. Uh, just it would go down really well live. I well, think. the reviews
0: and, are awesome, and thank everybody for that because it's it's you guys that 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 make the difference. I mean, we just we just do what we do, but you guys have to like it. And so far, um, the the reviews are, are fantastic, and, and we really so appreciate that. That's awesome.
1: Robin, do you have a time frame for your next solo album to come out? I was supposed to submit it by the end of March. It's the end of it's the end of
0: March, and I haven't started yet. You know, I have all of the songs ready. I just haven't recorded them because yeah. because um, this this rest of this stuff happened. So it may come out by the end of the year, or, or we get it recorded, and they may kick it out at the top end of next year. Got it. Um, but it could. I'm hoping by the end of the year we'll we'll have it done, and then. I know. You have to be careful at the end of the year because they just get buried, you know, Christmas. I'll yeah. end up making a Christmas record.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's anywhere near as good as Standing on the Edge, it'll oh, thank it, you know, you. I'm looking uh, forward to it. So some
0: great songs on it. I'm very excited about it, So,
1: Robin, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. It's uh, It's been great learning about Black Swan and, and, Thanks, and diving in, diving into your past. So. Thank you so much. I wish you nothing but the best of luck with this, with the tour with Michael Schenker and and with your next, uh, getting those vocals recorded for the next solo album. God bless you, my friend. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logographic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media, at Mike's Records on Twitter, and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash Collection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening.